good life! You are listening to the AMC Report with your host, Ryan Dawson. Joining me today is Ted Postal of MIT, and we are going to debunk some of the myths about the Iron Dome as well as the Patriot Missile System. Uh, welcome to Anti-Neocons, Mr. Postal. Oh, it's a pleasure. Be pleasure to be here. Now, before we get into Iron Dome, the Israeli Iron Dome financed by the United States, I wanted to take just a, a little bit of time to talk about some of your other work with the Patriot Missile System, because I saw all that propaganda as a child for the first Gulf War about how glorious the Patriot Missile System was. And this was pre-internet, so I think a lot of people swallowed that and never really looked back at it to see how much of it was true and how much of it wasn't. So if you could explain what were the Patriot missiles, what was the claim, and then what was the reality? Well, the uh, Patriot missiles were a uh, uh, an air defense system, uh, an air defense system called Patriot. That is to say, by air defense, I mean it was designed to shoot down airplanes, and it was uh, supposedly modified so that it could also shoot down uh, ballistic missiles. And uh, this was injected into Israel in 1991 uh, when uh, uh, the Gulf War of 1991 was in progress, supposedly to defend Israel from uh, Scud ballistic missile attacks uh, from Iraq. And Iraq had modified uh, the Scud ballistic missile uh, to be able to uh, deliver a roughly 500-pound or 300-kilogram warhead uh, from about 600 kilometers range. The uh, Patriot, uh, by the end of the Gulf War of, of 91, uh, the Patriot was being claimed to have had a success rate of about 96%. Uh, when we started uh, looking at the evidence, which turned out to be amazingly, uh, to, more to our amazement than anybody else's, video that we were able to interpret about what that allowed us to tell what actually happened during uh, engagements between patriots and scuds we eventually came to the conclusion uh, that is now widely accepted that the uh, success rate determined uh, the, the, uh, defined as the destruction of the scud warheads was probably zero not 96 percent <laughs> that's how did they come up with the figure of 96%? Was that based on data or just trying to sell weaponry? Or, I mean, that is a, a massive discrepancy. Um, uh, I think my, my, what I believe happened, <clears throat> I don't actually have inside information on this, but I'm pretty sure my speculations are correct. The, um, the system was not working. <clears throat> and... Uh, some of the people involved understood it was not working. Uh, so, for example, General Schwarzkopf made some comments uh, when you read them with uh, after knowledge of what went on. It was pretty clear he understood it was not working. But um, the, um, the appearance that Patriot was working had uh, a... Um, a calming effect on the populations that were under Scud attack. And so uh, the Allies um, developed a policy, <coughs> excuse me, the, the Allies uh, developed a policy that they would simply claim that Patriot was working 
And they would also tell people to take cover because, uh, you know, even a system that's working this well can fail. So it turns out that the very low casualty rates uh, in Israel and Saudi Arabia can mostly be ascribed to people sheltering, people taking shelter, uh, rather than uh, actual uh, any intercepts, which also incidentally turns out to be the situation with regard to the Iron Dome system in Israel now. Yeah, when you look at the civilian casualty rates pre-Iron Dome and post-Iron Dome, it's the same. And so that was my next question, if you think that was also from people running to shelter or that perhaps not even that, that these, because the rockets from Hamas are a little bit less than the Scud's from Iraq and the Scud missile is not the most fantastic missile either, but uh, the rockets aren't even missiles at all. And I'm wondering how effective they would be, period, because I've heard a lot of uh, different answers on that, glorified fireworks to, well, they're rockets, but people are in shelters. What's your take on the? Well, I do think uh, these rockets are dangerous. I, I think that um, uh, if they are, fi- they are fired in the general direction of population centers, uh, a very high percentage of them land out in areas where no harm is done. So, because they're ra- probably a rough estimate of the lethal range, the, the, it varies with a rocket, is, is maybe four or five, six meters. So if, if it falls within four or five or six meters of you and you have not taken effort to shelter, uh, you could be seriously injured or killed. So they're not harmless. The probability of a, an individual rocket falling that close uh, to an individual is, is just not that high. But it is high enough that you would expect casualties from, uh, from these rocket attacks. What causes the casualties to essentially, to, for all practical purposes, to be zero is that people have warning of the attack and there are numerous shelters set up. Uh, every house basically has to have a shelter of some kind. Now, the shelter doesn't have to be fantastic. It can just simply be a stairwell in a building that has, you know, a reasonably strong concrete um, walls. It can be a small room in, in, a, in a private home where the walls have been slightly reinforced. These rockets are not tremendously destructive. Uh, so, you know, if you have a shelter and you go into it, uh, the chances are very, very low that even if a rocket lands on top of the shelter, it will kill you. So the combination of uh, the rockets being relatively um, uh, uh, not powerful. Well, they're not harmless, but for a rocket, because the image of a rocket yeah. is blows up a house, you know, like has a warhead, right. has a fireball. Nothing close to that. Yeah. What you see are uh, images of uh, when you see damage from rockets, you'll see things, cameras going through a room in a house and the camera will turn up and you'll see a hole in the ceiling where the rocket came through. And maybe you'll even see a hole on the floor and then you'll see general damage. Now, if you were in the room when this rocket came through and exploded, it would probably kill you. But if you were in the next room, which was a little bit of, you know, protected, uh, you would not be you would not be killed. Is that so, from shrapnel or does it have an actual payload? 
it, it has explosives and uh, and typically the the homemade uh, the different kinds of rockets the homemade the indigenous rockets that are manufactured in Gaza are called Qassams. The Qassams are not of a standard size. There are a variety of Qassam rockets. Their warheads weigh maybe 10 to 20 pounds, um, maybe 30 to 50 percent of the weight of the warheads are ball bearings. So the explosive, uh, which we we're pretty we know is, uh, is is TNT in the warhead, uh, basically blows the uh, uh, the ball bearings uh, into a spray pattern that uh, you know can do quite a lot of harm if you're close enough. If you're very close, the expl- the effect of the explosion itself can kill you. But but really the the primary range at which lethal effects occur are due to the uh, the ball bearings. It's then, a little then, bit like a flying pipe bomb. Yes. Yes. Mm. And and or uh, or if you think of um, uh, some of these um, uh, bombings where you have terrorist bombers and they uh, strap a vest on themselves with explosives and in the vest or ball bearings, or... Uh, nails or something. Nails, right, uh, screws, things like that. Uh, that will greatly increase the uh, lethal range at which uh, people can be injured or killed. So then why all the hype about Iron Dome, um, if that's not really intercepting these rockets? I mean, I don't even know if you should call them rockets or not. I don't projectiles whatever they are they are rockets i mean they're uh, rudimentary rockets i guess but yes um it's just i yeah i mean technically they are but compared to what we imagine with modern rockets it's kind of pathetic well, but. S- some some of these rockets are large um uh there are not many of them uh most of the rockets are small but there have been some larger rockets uh smuggled into Gaza and launched from Gaza. And so uh, some of them have warheads that are quite large, maybe um, 200 pounds. Now, we haven't seen very many of these rockets because the rockets that can deliver a 200-pound warhead weigh 2,000 pounds themselves. So they're not easy to move around. They're not easy to smuggle in. So they're a very small number of them, and they are mostly longer range and can potentially uh, hit places like Tel Aviv from Gaza, which is maybe uh, 70 kilometers away. Mm. Uh, but the great majority of rockets have relatively small warheads. So, um, um, and, and when we see rockets with larger warheads, they, they have done some damage. But again, they often fall in open spaces or far enough away from buildings or structures that there's not significant damage. And then some of them do hit structures, and uh, in some cases they do some significant damage. But it's a very small number. I mean, this is not a scientific question. It's more political. But then what's the point of the hype of Iron Dome rather than correctly saying it's the shelters that are protecting people? Why? I mean, this is a very, very expensive defense project, offensive defense so why fib about it? Well, first of all, it's not expensive if it's not your money. <laughs> I mean, uh, 
Well, uh, I mean, the American the media is hyping it up States. too. That's true. And, uh, <laughs> this is an issue that I have been raising here. Um, so if it's not, if you're not paying for it, uh, and you're Israeli, uh, why not? Uh, and then, of course, there is a great uh, psychological value that I believe the Israelis are trying to exploit. The uh, the level of disruption that the Gaza rocket attacks have imposed on Israeli society is really quite large. I mean, at any time of day, a siren can go off or your phone can start ringing, giving you an alert, and you have to stop whatever you're doing and go into a shelter. Now, you know, relative to suffering uh, an injury or death, of course, that's a minor inconvenience, but uh, it does uh, it does wear on people's nerves and... Uh, you know, these, these, these attacks can occur any time, day or night, and it makes people uh, quite nervous. So if they think that they have uh, Iron Dome protecting them, uh, this does have a quieting effect. I mean, I've seen this. I've talked to people in Israel. I have many contacts there. I have um, observed uh, interviews, uh, video interviews, and many, many people simply think uh, that... Uh, Iron Dome is protecting them. Now, the reason for that is, you know, if I tell you, you're on, you know, there's a rocket attack and you're in Tokyo and nothing happens to you and I tell you Iron Dome protected you, uh, you're eventually going to start thinking that maybe you're protected if you believe that there are these rocket attacks. And the rockets do not do enormous damage. I mean, if they fall in the building next to you, you'll know about it. And you may... Uh, be a little unnerved, but the chances of it falling in an area where uh, you're aware that a rocket fell are, are quite small because they're not, you know, thousands of rockets spread over God knows how many square kilometers uh, does not result in, in a devastating effect uh, in many cases. So if most of the time you're not even aware that a rocket fell near you and they're telling, and people are being told that Iron Dome is working, it does seem to have a calming effect on them. It just, I guess it's because their effect is so little no matter what they did, but I was going to say, wouldn't it be dangerous because people would think, well, Iron Dome's protecting me. I don't have to go in the shelter, and then maybe they well, would die is, from underneath. It, it is. It is a double-edged sword. I mean, the, uh, the three people who were killed in November 2012 by a grad rocket were uh, standing out on a porch. Uh, the, uh, uh, a young man believed that Iron Dome was working and he went out onto the porch during a, an artillery attack, an, an, an artillery rocket attack, and he was trying to take photographs of Iron Dome's making intercepts. His mother followed him out, yelling at him, as mothers always do, and uh, telling him, get in here, go to the stairwell, you know, go, go to the shelter, which is our stairwell, as it was a building with multiple apartments. A neighbor uh, heard her yelling at him. He came out, so there were three of them on the porch. The rocket hit and killed all three of them. And uh, they would be alive today if uh, he had not believed uh, that Iron Dome was working and he had not foolishly gone out and uh, tried to watch the engagements. So it, it does have uh, uh, negative effects. On the other case, in the other sense, uh, on the other level, there are only, uh, 
you know, uh, we, we now have uh, between 2012 and the July 2014, uh, uh, four deaths from the effects of rockets. There are other deaths that occurred from mortar shells, which I, I don't believe they're claiming Iron Dome is defending against. And um, there was a death of uh, an unfortunate uh, uh, a Bedouin Arab who was uh, happened to be unfortunate enough to be near a rocket that landed near him. And uh, it was very interesting that uh, there was a human rights organization that went to the Israeli high court asking that the Israel be forced to provide shelter for these Bedouins uh, as well. And one of the arguments the Israeli government made to, to argue that they, they really are already protected was that uh, all that this man had to do was lie on the ground and the chances of being a casualty from that rocket would have been reduced by 80%. That was the Israeli government's position in their own high court. Uh, so, did they say that about the people on the ports? Uh, I, uh, they're silent about the people on the, on the porch. I think it's clear what would have happened there. All that would have, could have been done is, or should have been done is, uh, they should have been in shelters. I actually have many photographs of the porch that was hit. And I think lying down on the porch would probably not have, uh, saved them. You know, there was a, the, the rocket that fell on that porch had a, had a larger warhead, uh, than uh, than most rockets, and uh, they would certainly, absolutely, uh, would not have been injured or killed if they had simply gone into the stairwell associated with that building. No question about that. Yeah. Well, I guess the they weighed the odds, and the psychological calming effect was better than a few casualties. Like the, the, the pro was better than the con. Who knows? But. Contrast that with what the Israelis are lobbying into Gaza. Uh, of course, the Israelis claim they're all precision strikes and there's collateral damage, or some even say human shields. But what is the uh, difference in firepower here? Just uh, missile wise. Well, uh, the New York Times just reported today, I just happened to be scanning the paper, uh, that uh, according to the UN. Uh, 2,100 people have now been killed in Gaza. 500 of those killed were children. So um, the Israeli attacks have uh, not been pinpointed by any measure. Uh, anybody who looks at uh, uh, the levels of damage, the vast areas that have just been leveled by uh, what has the appearance of carpet bombing, uh, could never uh, come to a rational conclusion that these were precision strikes. Now, um, I, um, I have, I'm on record on, uh, about saying this in other uh, interviews. The, the argument that the Israelis have been using that they're, that prior to this, that they were counter-striking against rocket launch locations, is really uh, makes, um, it, it's just not... Uh, is, cannot be the real reason why they're striking at these locations. Anybody who knows about how rockets are launched knows that anybody who launches rockets who are properly trained, and certainly the uh, Hamas fighters would certainly be in that category, knows that the locations 
from where the rockets are launch, launched can be immediately identified by radars that are specially designed uh, for this purpose. They're, they're sometimes called fire-finding radars. So once you launch a rocket, your location is known to an adversary. And if your adversary is set up to counterfire quickly, within a minute or a couple of minutes, uh, you can expect uh, counterfire back to that location. So what people do as a matter of routine, this is just routine, is they fire their, they set up the rockets so they can be fired relatively remotely from the crews that are firing them, and then they leave the area immediately. So if there's counter-battery fire, the counter-battery fire is going to hit people who are near the locations where the rockets are launched, not the Hamas uh, fighters. So, um, so the argument that it's simply counter-battery fire is just um, does not hold up. Uh, the, my guess, this is only a guess because I'm not privy to uh, the Israeli thinking, my guess is the internal thinking in Israel is that if you punish the, um, uh, the people under Hamas uh, rule severely enough, the hope they have, uh, the Israelis have, is that they will rise up and overthrow Hamas or do something, uh, you know, or give up and not support Hamas. Now, I think the history of uh, strategic bombing shows that that hope is uh, is just not in any way uh, related to what people, how people react. We know from the history of bombing in World War II and before that the, the population always rallies around uh, the uh, the government and each other, and uh, and and sees the enemy who's doing the bombing as the enemy. So. Disregarding questions of uh, ethical or moral uh, uh, standards, uh, this is a very unwise policy. I think it's worse than that because they were ethnically cleansing Gaza, well, all of Palestine before Hamas even existed. I think that when they say they're mowing the lawn, that's exactly what they mean. And it, that might be a kind of secondary afterthought. I think, well, if we kill enough civilians they'll give up or stop supporting Hamas but I really think uh, the the main goal is to make them a demographic minority and to slaughter and punish them why else have a blockade that puts people on a calorie diet and why else demolish homes to set up you know racially segregated houses well I think that would be I don't know if that's their Policy, uh, it, it, it certainly. Uh, it's certainly voiced to... by enough politicians to say calling them, you know, grass snakes and you know. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a uh, what whatever their policy is, what they're doing is uh, absolutely unacceptable and inhumane. I agree with that completely. Well, why continue to fire rockets when they're so ineffective, and? Whether it's their fault or not, they're still being collectively punished. What's the? Well, they're game? not ineffective. I mean, uh, okay. what 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 the firing of rockets does is it tells every Israeli every few hours because these you know you, you you should take shelter. It's very low chance that you'll be injured, but you should take shelter. I would at least, even though I know the chances are extremely low 
of being injured. Don't want to gamble so, with life, though. Yeah, yeah. right. And uh, so, so you, uh, you know, it tells every Israeli every few hours that we are here, uh, we are not going away, and we are going to be a problem until you face the political problem of addressing our concerns. Now, you can argue their concerns are reasonable, or you can argue their concerns are not reasonable, but you can't argue that you can ignore them. So, so that's what the Rockets, uh, that's the role the Rockets perform. Yeah, it certainly must hurt them economically as well. I'm sure tourism is down in southern Israel. Absolutely. Well, are they not falling into the same trap as the Israelis if the Israelis are not learning from history to know that the population rallies behind the government when civilians are slaughtered, wouldn't, even though they're not killing many civilians, trying to kill civilians also make the Israelis rally behind their right-wing government too, rather than being falling into the fear of, okay, you're here and you keep fighting us? Wouldn't they just be more do the same thing, be more encouraged to support their their team, as it were? Well, I, I, I think uh, you're right. And uh, uh, the problem is that, uh, first of all, both sides are diverse. That is to say, there's a multiplicity of, uh, of uh, leadership uh, and views in the Palestinians as well as among the Israelis. So you can't make a blanket statement, but I just mean uh, governments like the strategy. Yeah, course. no, no, I, I'm not uh, suggesting you did. I'm just saying, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm just simply saying that uh, both sides tend to see this conflict as existential. That is to say, having to do with uh, the existence of each side, the ongoing existence. When you are in an existential conflict, you are willing to do whatever you think you need to do to survive, to, to increase your chances of surviving as a people. Now, uh, in the case of the Israelis, of course, uh, uh, they are far less in an existential situation than the Palestinians, but they believe that. And so, uh, as a result, many Israelis do not see uh, this uh, these mass attacks on these uh, civilian population in Gaza as, uh, as, as a crime. Uh, I think it is, but that's different. Um, the problem on the other side is you have a similar set of views. And, um, and then the political problem, which is the real problem, because mm -hmm. this can never be solved militarily by either side, the political problem is the Israelis do not have a unified uh, sense of how to address the Palestinian concerns, and the Palestinians do not have a unified leadership. So if you were a, a reasonable Israeli leader, I'm not, not Netanyahu, he's, he's almost an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, but let's say you were a reasonable uh, Israeli leader, who do you negotiate with? I mean, uh, you have uh, different groups of, uh, of Palestinians. Some of them are quite reasonable. They want to see an end to the conflict. They want to see certain reasonable adjustments made for their needs. And then you have other uh, groups who uh, are dead against any kind of uh, 
Hello, are you there? I'm listening, yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually. Uh, so others of them are dead against uh, any kind of, uh, of accommodation, um, you know, and, uh, and both sides have strong elements, strong elements within them, uh, political elements, that uh, see, their, see their rights to living in this uh, area as coming from biblical times. Uh-huh. And, you know, you can't, uh, you can't say I lived in a place 5,000 years ago, hence I now own it. Both sides have the same argument. Both sides, if that argument were valid, it were true. It would be true. You know, it would be true for both sides. Uh, you know, my family... Yeah, but think of how the entire world would have to remap itself if we all thought that abs- way. I mean- if, we didn't, if we didn't accept the facts of history, when, then we would, every human being would be fighting every other human being. And you have, uh, you know, the justice, you know, there are injustices in every generation and in every location. And some people wind up prevailing and others don't. And if you don't wind up prevailing and you, you did something terrible, your children did not necessarily do the terrible thing that you are guilty for. So they're not responsible for the circumstance they're living in necessarily. They have, no, they have not lost their rights to, to the land they, they grew up in. And so there, there must be a recognition of history an accommodation based on a fair and balanced recognition of the history of these different peoples. Well, and just and private property side, laws, sir. too, I think. I'm sorry? I mean, and private property laws. I mean, you can't bulldoze yes. down a house and replace it. Uh, no matter whose grandpappy's grandpappy you claim used to live there. I don't even agree with the biblical history either because it, to, in as an atheist, I just see them as fictional characters. I don't think Abraham or Adam or Eve were ever there. There were Jews living in uh, that area, but not as a majority ever until the 40s. So I, you, I don't understand the racial inheritance claim at all anywhere. On either like, side. Yeah, like either, both, view. exactly. Uh, like, what does it matter? Why can't you live together like people do in every other country? Yes, but until you can reach a consensus among these people that this is what must happen, that they must find ways to live together, until you can reach that consensus, you're going to have this kind of total unrestrained warfare, which is not my argument for excusing it. I'm just sort of trying yeah, to explaining explain it. Like, it. What I think is it's backwards. Like, I think often in political situations, people need a, an acceptable pretext for their behavior. And so they already have the behavior that they want to set out. Then they rationalize it after the fact. And I, I'm not sure if the religious beliefs are are pushing it rather than it's just something to cite to uphold the policy that they actually want to have anyway based on their own prejudices. Yeah. Do you know, it's like, oh, we're liberating the Kurds in Iraq or the women in Afghanistan. And that was totally insincere junk. Uh, not that people don't actually care about women, etc., but that... It's not what happened. We liberated opium and so on and so on. But yes. the, those who wanted to go to war anyway will latch on to that as an acceptable public face for it 
Whereas privately, they just want to, you know, blow them up and take over and yeehaw America, whatever. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think religion is sort of a a pretext that sounds good, but it's well, sort of there's an religion. Thing. There's also uh, 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 what sometimes people call ethnocentric uh, ideas. It's like. Uh, uh, you know, being in the United States, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you have experienced this yourself. People think, uh, many people, not everyone, of course, think that somehow uh, they know better about how to live right than these other people. And if the other people just listen and let the Americans come in and clean up the situation, everything will be fine. Right. So this kind of an ethnic, mm. uh, su- you know, a cultural superiority uh uh, problem and uh, and it's it's not necessarily mean spirited, but it is of course ultimately it, there is a racist undertone uh, to it, and and it is very problematic. Yeah, and you saw that the racism shift from being overt to more kind of uh, I'll call it paternal racism. Yeah, yeah. With the, yeah. And it's uh, it's unfortunate. Um, it's not always evil in intent, although the consequences, of course, uh, can be very bad and quite evil. Well, the final thing, so we've got missiles on one side, rudimentary rockets on the other, and they are having an effect, if not in the death toll, still having a psychological economic effect and doing damage to Israel. And I kind of can see the Palestinians with nothing else to lose. Uh, if... I just I don't understand the international community. I, I don't know if they're just unaware or whatever, but I don't understand how anybody can fathom or believe that Israel sincerely wants peace while they're simultaneously colonizing and blockading their neighbors. How can you have an ongoing daily military occupation in the West Bank and a blockade and continuously just start the story in the middle with, well, these teenagers were murdered or this rocket was fired when... That's been going on for decades. I mean, the, obviously, oppressed people have a right to self-determination, and they fight back. And I don't agree with Hamas, and I don't agree with firing rockets at anybody. I'm not insane. But I think it's a very predictable response to an occupation and, and a blockade. So if these things are internationally illegal, which they are, then why doesn't the international community uphold the law? Is it just because of the well, American I mean, support? Uh, or? I, I don't want to – I'm not interested in sending Americans to get shot up by these people on both sides. Oh, I mean, no, uh, but you could quit sending them $3 billion in aid every year. Well, uh, I, I – uh, million to Hamas. I, I, I'm on record for raising questions about the money being spent on Iron Dome for sure. So uh, – uh, and, uh, and I, I think if the Israelis – my view is if the Israelis want the kind of aid uh, to con- that the Americans have been giving them militarily to continue, then I think they need to think about um, uh, being a little bit more uh, concerned about American concerns when they're expressed to the Israelis. So, And I've made that view very clear to Israelis I have had even recent conversations with. They, uh, uh, the argument that somehow we're under attack and you don't know what it's like, well, my response is I do, I do sympathize with your situation, and I do sympathize with their situation. But that doesn't mean I'm willing to support some of the things that your country's doing. 
But they understand why they're under attack? It's none of my attack? business. I'm sorry. When you tell me it's none of my business, I say it is my business because I'm paying for a lot of what you're, you know, a lot of your capability. It's literally is your business. Yes. I mean, it's your money. Yeah. But oh, do they, is, do they uh, understand yeah. why they're being attacked? Like, how can they just go, yeah, we occupy them and yeah, we have a blockade. So, you know, like, well, how I, does that just, how do you skip I, over it? I think you can't uh, you, you can't ascribe a single view to the Israeli people any more than you can to the uh, Palestinians. I mean, there, I uh, I have many many Israeli friends who are just sick over what they see happening, who are embarrassed about how the uh, Arab populations are being treated and have been treated, who who have tried their best to uh, voice their concerns about it. It's not a unified. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just meant the so, ones you were talking about who said they're under attack. No, I think these other people. Uh, you have a wide range of views among them too. You have these people who think that God gave them the place five thousand years ago. I mean, it's just insane in my view. Yeah. Uh, but then you have other people who say, "Look, we've done everything we can." I mean, I have friends who say, "We've done everything we can," and they still won't stop. Now, of course, everything they can is not necessarily. For example, stop building uh, these, uh, um, uh, you, you know, in the, on the West Bank. Settlements, you know, yeah. That's the light word. I call them racial yeah. colonies, but yeah. But, but if, you, if you think about the, the domestic politics of Israel, it, it really is a very difficult situation because the domestic politics of Israel makes it extremely difficult for any, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> The domestic politics in Israel make it extremely difficult for any politician, no matter what their popularity and their goodwill may be, to reverse these settlements. I mean, uh, from the point of view of those individuals who wanted to use the settlements as a means of making the problem of dealing with the Palestinians irreversible from a domestic political point of view, the idea was brilliant and successful because the domestic problem you would have trying to reverse the situation would be absolutely gigantic. And, you know, so um, you can't... Yeah, once you give somebody a free house, they don't want to lose it. Right, right. And um, and and so you, you're, you're going to have to... Now, of course, you could build new housing inside the borders of what are accepted, what, what was accepted as Israel's borders before Behind the, the green lines began yeah. uh, and, uh, and move people back. But many of these people don't want to move back even if they had better housing because they think that somehow God gave them the land. And, you know, it's not an easy situation for a young soldier who maybe deplores these people. I mean, I have friends, you know, they have children. They, they, they think these people are crazy. They're Israelis. But, you know, they're screaming, they have children, they're holding on to things. It's very hard to, to actually do anything to get these people, uh, you know, to move. And uh, I, I'm not trying to make an excuse for the situation, but the point is that you have intransigence on both sides that's very deep. You know, when you have Palestinians say, well, Israel was our land and we should, they should, the Israelis should just give it back. I mean, that, that's just as unreasonable as, um, 
as people claiming that they they have a right to these settlements. It's like returning Texas to Mexico. I mean, you uh, no one can racially exclusively inherit land. God is not a real estate agent. Well, right. not to me, but uh, if there was one. But uh, yeah, I don't. I just. I think for some of them, the idea of living together is just unfathomable. Like just, and in the settlements, they segregate everything: the roads, the schools, the water. Like, yeah. so I think the the way because I'm focusing on solutions here. I think what you're saying is true. The domestic uh, issue: if someone wanted to get rid of them, they couldn't. Is is that's all true? So the proper way to tackle this might be financially to say well we're not going to build any more at least because we can't afford it and it really goes back to foreign aid to Israel which is not even aid it's not a loan because they're forgiven loans every year which comes back to the US but domestically the US has a big problem with that too because of Our all the domestic ir- politics is, is very very rough with regard to Israeli the Israeli debate mm-hmm. one because of evangelicals who also believe God is a real estate agent. And secondly, because of the weapons industries, because a lot of the aid over half has earmarks attached to it, which basically recycle it back onto Lockheed Martin and all the other uh, big aerospace companies. The, 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 the domestic problems, uh, the politics, uh, the domestic politics in the United States that are, that influence uh, our policies are, are gigantic in, in terms of their, uh, the power and influence they hold. And I don't know, I, I just don't know how anybody, uh, I don't know of any political figure, even in the history of the United States, if I just should say who, uh, I don't know anybody who can overcome these forces. They're just gigantic. It's, yeah, you're talking about the weapons industry and the religious right, and that's number one and probably well, top and ten. The, uh, there are certain extremist uh, American Jews who uh, think that Israel can never make a mistake. Uh, you know, there's certainly many Jews, in American Jews, who are like me, who uh, are very concerned about the moral and ethical uh, and, uh, and uh, frankly, the future viability of, of Israel as a democracy and are not happy with what we see. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a great variety of people uh, and with different motives and different perspectives uh, who, uh, who make uh, a, a political solution uh, very difficult to implement uh, because of the domestic politics in the United States. Do you think it's possible, this is sort of a silver lining on a very dark cloud, but that <clears throat> there is just a breaking point where enough images of dead children just let people just say the truth say look this has got to end and we got to seriously talk about this or are people so bent on sticking with well Israel can do no wrong and wow we are making a lot of profits off this so let's look the other way I mean I think the basic American the basic Israeli or person living anywhere who sees you know UN schools, hospitals, ambulances, everything being bombed and all these kids being slaughtered. They have to be moved by that. They have to want something to give. And we had 2008, 9, 12, now 14 with the lawn being mowed and nothing seems to change. So 
could we lift the blockade or freeze the settlements or at least start a dialogue about it or it doesn't matter? Well, I, I, I would hope that something could be done, but I, I have to be honest in my own uh, uh, view. Uh, it's, it's very hard for me to see the kind of solution that I believe needs to happen. I, in other words, I'm not against the solution. I just, uh, I, for example, I think if the blockade is lifted, which frankly I think should be done, but if it's lifted, I mean, I had a long conversation with a friend of mine uh, when Gaza was turned over to the Palestinians. And I basically said to him that I thought it was the right thing that Israel was doing. But I also said to him, that's not going to bring you peace. This is going to come back in a very bad way because people are so dug in on both sides. But that relocating the settlements from Gaza to the West Bank was not an internal decision. That was part of Bush's roadmap, and I can't stand George Bush, but that that was one thing that they got out of it was the pressure from the United States to say you're going to have to pull these settlements out of Gaza. Of course, they just pulled them out and slapped the blockade on. So it shows that if the U.S. does get behind it, Israel will listen. Well, I, uh, uh, my own view is uh, I'm, uh, I'm fed up with the Netanyahu government. Uh, you know, I'm not fed up with Israel and my friends there, but I'm fed up with the Netanyahu government. And I think uh, somebody's got to tell this guy that uh, he's out of line. So I have no problems with anybody uh, putting pressure on that government. But Do, uh, do you think, oh, is there, uh, sorry, is there, I'm not, I'm not really aware enough on this, but is there a, a less... Uh, well, less of a lunatic waiting in the wings. Uh, it, is he no, enjoying a lot of support? Because it seems like there's just him and there's worse, like Lieberman uh, or something. I, I think I think uh, it's unfortunate. I think there is him and it, and worse. And uh, and this is one of the uh, you know for people like me who would like to see Israel survive in the long term as a democracy. So that's my that's my. Uh, what I would like to see, mm-hmm. I believe that Israel will not survive in the long term as a democracy. I think it will survive as a state, but it will not survive as a democratic state, and it will not survive as a state where justice is uh, is really uh, part of, of, of its uh, social system. It just can't survive these kinds of, uh, of, of uh, this kind of behavior and uh, and, 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 and these kinds of dilemmas in the long term. What it will have to do to survive as a state will make it much less democratic and much less of a place worthwhile living in. So it's a, I'm very uh, pessimistic about the future of Israel. I, not, I'm not pessimistic about its ability to survive as a state, but I am pessimistic about its ability to survive as a state worth protecting. So... Yeah, they seem to be sawing the tree branch that they're sitting on. And yes. uh, I personally don't think that being a democracy or not is some immunity to being a horrible place. Uh, what you're, Whether you elect the dictator or select the dictator, if you have a dictator, you have a dictator. Well, yes, but if you, uh, if you have people who have uh, rights of citizenship and others who don't, uh, that's uh, a real yeah. problem. Well, I mean, not, the 
the normal idea is under a democracy, you also have economic interdependencies, and there's just a way to to keep people to chill out or keep them calm. Yes. But but when a state is subsiding mainly on massive amounts of foreign aid for given loans, then they really don't have consequences from boycotts or anything. Otherwise, they I guess they could for divestment, but. It doesn't matter whether people buy your stuff or not because you're getting billions of dollars anyway. It just yeah. so the kind of normal pressures that were put on, say, South Africa or other apartheids or places that have annexed territory doesn't really affect them other than looking bad. Because as long as the cash keeps coming, then it, it doesn't. Well, they I don't actually have to sell still, anything to earn it. Issue. Yeah. This is an issue. I think so. Well, I think that if we could attack the earmarks on the weapon industries and point out that that's probably why there's so much aid given to Israel that, and it kind of moves it out of the sphere of the religious debate and everything to just say, look, it's Lockheed, Boeing, et cetera, you know, all these companies are making money off people killing each other. Maybe we could have a more clear and, and less. Um, I think there are a lot of jobs and there's a lot of money. And when you have lots of jobs and lots of money, you have lots of political power. Right. And uh, I'm not, uh, I uh, have spent a large part of my career trying to uh, influence uh, rational debate on these military matters. I'm not, you know, I did the best I could. So, you know, but you know, you, the, the powers you are up against are so uh, entrenched and so large that. Um, it's 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 nearly impossible. I don't, I don't know how anybody, uh, even if you were a very popular president, uh, could uh, could could turn the current situation around. And this is one of the things that depressed me about the future of the United States. Uh, the, the the country is in 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 very bad shape with regard to leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a Congress that's essentially dysfunctional. Uh, we have I call him uh, the president. I'm sorry. I call them the renta government. Yes. Well, they're 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 just dysfunctional. Uh, you have people in the Congress of goodwill, and and who are uh, willing to uh, do the right thing or trying to do the right thing, but they're in a minority. Mm -hmm. And it's not as if you have people who don't know what's going on, but you do not have enough people who's going on, and you do not have enough of an engaged electorate. To, to respond to these problems. Uh, so um, uh, I think the trend in the United States is going to be a, continue, a continuous uh, degradation of our democracy and of, uh, of the uh, American situation. But uh, I, I wish I could, you know, if I, if I turn out to be wrong, I will be tremendously happy. But uh, I, I just don't see the situation as very good. You depress me, but I can't disagree. <laughs> Sadly, I, yeah, I would to. like to disagree, but I don't. I, I, I share your views. I think the system's broken, uh, not only on this, but you can look around at conflicts in Africa, Myanmar, uh, most of the rest of the Middle East, and it's the same companies, and you know they find different brands of religious fanatics, but it's the same kind of system. The system's broken, and on completely separate issues, you see the electric... 90 plus percent against the NSA spying or this or that, and they do it anyway, and they still get reelected somehow. So well, we have uh, a broken you know, system. Uh, uh, if, 
I, uh, you know, I was, I was, and remain uh, a supporter of Obama, basically because relative to the alternative. Uh, but uh, I, I am furious. <laughs> I am furious with Obama that uh, when uh, James Clapper lied to the Congress that he that Clapper got back to the White House and his office wasn't already being cleaned out. It's just unacceptable. And we in that we in the United States now we have a group of people at the top of the American intelligence community who haven't figured out that they are working for and on behalf of a democracy. And it's the president's fault that he has not removed them, in my view, because he has the power and authority to do so. There are very good people in the intelligence community, I know some of them, who understand who they're working for and what the principles of the United States are about. And these people have been marginalized, and uh, it's just absolutely unacceptable to me as, a, as an American citizen, to see this happen. But uh, again, I have no power other than to talk about it. Well, I think very, very slowly, uh, the internet is pushing back on that awareness-wise and breaking the media monopoly. And more so, what the internet does is it forces the televised press to be a little bit more honest because they know they're going to get called out on it. And I think not soon, but eventually we will catch up and that will be the avenue to fixing all of this, but it's going to I be hope so. another decade or so, unfortunately. I, I, I hope so. I well, hope so. that's why I'm doing these things anyway. That's yes. my hope. <laughs> well, we've reached the top of the hour here, so we'll just wrap things up for the Israeli Iron Dome and ridiculous policies and what's going on in Gaza and the future there. But as we discussed in the email, I'm going to hold you on for the next segment for a different topic so we can talk about Mimi Alaham or Syrian girls case and your involvement in that and how we can support her. Folks, don't go anywhere. I have more with Mr. Ted Postal of MIT. The next topic is going to get into the case. If you heard the interview in the podcast right before this one where Mimi Alaham and I talked about ISIS, etc. Near the very end of that interview, we were getting into her case and some of the people who have attacked her. And Mr. Ted Postal has some information on that. You're going to want to stay tuned for this case and also possibly be able to help a fellow activist. So stay tuned for that. The next guest lined up is Dr. Norman Finkelstein coming back to the program. And then possibly Thomas Mountain. We're going to talk some African politics and I'd like to remind everyone that the paper version of Separation of Business and State is available on Amazon.com. And please donate to ANC Report. It keeps these shows on the air. And there's a yellow donation button at the bottom of the page or in the bottom right corner, depending on what operating system you're using. Please consider signing up for a reoccurring payment. $5, $10, what have you, so that I don't have to stress out every month. <laughs> Thank you for being with me today. Uh, stay tuned for the next installment with Ted Postal. We'll be right back on ANCReport.com. Редактор 
княжна.